Well, morning everyone. Why don't I just, I might just pray quickly as we, as we start, should we just bow our heads. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word, living and active, and we just um, ask for your presence um, to be with us as we study together, that we'd be open to what you have to say to us each this morning. Amen. So as, as Ellen said, yep, this is message four in our Roadmaps series. Um, and yeah, do, you can catch up on the blog if you've missed any of the previous ones. Um, so yeah, you can, you can find them all there. Um, and we're, we're looking at choices this morning. Now, if you're not familiar with some of the, the Old Testament history that's been throughout this uh, series, and there's a lot of it, then I'd really recommend um, checking out some of these videos on the next uh, slide from um, the Bible Project. So bibleproject.com. Um, there's all these amazing videos. There's this particular series on the Torah, and I just can't can't really rate them highly enough. So just just watch them. I'm seeing a few nods back there. So yeah, if you've watched them before, um, so this isn't just going to give you the history, but it's going to help you to understand how these books of the Bible fit together, the message, the meaning of these books, and how they fit into the bigger story of the Bible. So choices. Well, quite apart from life's uh, big decisions around sort of family, work, education, housing, that sort of thing. Life is a continuum of choices in the smaller things too, isn't it? Be that sort of the daily temptations that we face, choices between right and wrong, um, where, where we know what's right and wrong, or things that are much more wisdom-based, where we've got to use discernment, and there's, there's not a direct answer in Scripture. I wonder what was the last major life decision you had to make, the last big crossroads. How did you choose which way to go? What was pushing you forwards and what was holding you back? Perhaps you're approaching a crossroads right now. Well, how are you feeling about it? What's guiding your decision making? I just put that out there and I just wonder, just hold on to that thought maybe as we go through this morning. Well, today we're coming to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 32 to 40, which Jen's read. And uh, it's worth having it open. If you've got a Bible or a phone, feel free to, to get that up. Um, that's fine. Um, we'll be referring to it as we go. So Israel is at a crossroads. They've spent the last 40 years or so as a nomadic nation in a desert wilderness, having escaped slavery in Egypt. And they're about to leave that way of life to occupy a new land, which God has promised to give them a land which is abundantly fruitful and where they can settle and live at peace under God's loving rule. Problem is, it's already inhabited by people who are big and strong and who aren't likely to vacate the premises just because they knock on the door. And added to that, across the Jordan River in the land of Canaan, there's all sorts of other gods, idols, alternative ways to worship, and they're suddenly going to get bombarded by all these choices. For the last 40 years, they've had to rely on God for even their most basic needs in some extreme conditions, but also in a kind of cultural and spiritual vacuum. If that makes sense, they've largely been on their own in a desert, no TV, no internet, and no other outside influences. And even then, they've made a spectacular mess of trusting God at times. So to enter the land which God has promised to Israel will inevitably mean conflict and risk. And there's a temptation to either run away and miss out on God's promised blessing entirely or to compromise, to quietly assimilate into the existing culture, try to get on with the neighbours, but leaving God 
to one side. And maybe we can relate to some of those pressures at work, home, school. And it's those risks which Moses is so keen for the people to avoid at this point. And particularly because, as many of you will know, this is a choice they've faced before and run away from. So about two years it was after they escaped from Egypt through the Red Sea, the Israelites are right at the border of the Promised Land. And they can see that it is indeed a good land although the inhabitants are fearsome. And in their fear, the Israelites decide they vote to stay in the desert, despite God's assurances that he will fight their battles and continue to bless them if they stick with him. But they won't trust him to keep them safe and deliver on his promises. And in consequence, God decides to wait for the next generation before allowing them to try again. And so a journey which could have taken as little as a few weeks, actually, took 38 years. And almost all of that first generation never made it out of the wilderness. And so Moses wants to ensure that they don't make that same choice twice. And so that's, that's where we find ourselves at the start of the book of Deuteronomy, where this second generation stops near the Jordan River and regroups before moving forward into the Promised Land. Now, the book of Deuteronomy, and if you watch the, uh, the Bible Project video, you'll get more. Uh, the, the book of Deuteronomy is like a transcript for, for like a really long church, like really long church service. So long. Um, and at the start of this service, Moses does a little recap of the journey that the Israelites have taken in the wilderness. And that's really for the benefit of this second generation. And that's in chapters one to three, before we get to chapter four, where we are today, where Moses outlines, outlines some key lessons that they need to learn. And, if, and we're kind of right at the end of, of that section. And if we were to pick out a key verse for today from our passage, the most important bit that Moses wants to communicate, then it's got to be verse 39. And this is what we're going to be focusing on this morning as we think about choices. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. So let's pick that apart. Acknowledge and take to heart this day these two things. Firstly, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And secondly, that there is no other. So point one, the Lord is God over everything, everyone. There is nothing and no one that is that the Lord is not God of. And secondly, there is no other. There's no competition. There's no alternative. So what evidence does Moses put forward in our passage to support this claim? And how should Israel respond? Well, that's what we're going to spend our time on. So firstly, there's a reminder. He gives them a reminder. He kind of summarizes a little bit chapters one to three. So he reminds them of Mount Sinai, of the Red Sea, and of the ten plagues. And that's in verses 32 to 34. Well, let's have a, let's have a look. So it's a reminder, a reminder of his presence and power. There it is. So visible, audible, practically tangible at Mount Sinai as God's presence descended on the mountain in this fiery thundercloud in the sight and hearing of all the people as God gave them the law. Terrifying and spectacular. There's his rescue of his people from the Egyptian army um, by miraculously parting the Red Sea into two vertical walls of water for a million refugees to pass through on dry land before engulfing their pursuers. 
and uh, his supremacy over the greatest superpower of the day as Pharaoh is humbled by these ten supernatural plagues uh, before he finally lets Israel go. These things obviously happened in reverse chronological order. Um, but the fact that Israel still exists is what Moses is saying. The fact that Israel still exists, and more than that, is now a free nation, is just so unlikely that uh, it shows that God has supreme power and authority over everything in heaven and earth. The Lord is God. And Moses is saying there in verse 35 that not only do these events show that there's divine power behind them, but that they're so unique and all-surpassing in their scale and wonder they just can't be compared to anything that's ever happened that could be attributed to another god. You know, if there were other gods in existence, as the nations around them would suggest, well, surely history would be littered with similar examples of a god rescuing and being present with his people. But it's not. The God of Israel is quite different. He's real, he is living, and he is with his people. Verse 32, where our passage starts, has anything so great as this ever happened or anything like it ever been heard of? No. I wonder if if you've had any experiences in your own life or someone close to you which leads you to draw that same conclusion. You know, things that you can look back on personally and say, only God could have done that. Only God and no one else. That's something to hold on to as well, just as we go through. Next, as we go through our passage, reassurance. We're in verse 37, 38. He takes them back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the the founding fathers of Israel and to the promises God made to them. He points to the fact that from one man, Abraham, who thought he couldn't have children, by the way, they're now a huge people group and a free one. He says this should reassure them that God loves them and keeps his promises And so he can be trusted to go on keeping his promises by giving them the promised land. And verse 38, Moses reminds the people of God's power and might. Also his presence, um, in in verse 37 there, his presence in the the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that we looked at in one of our earlier messages. Um, But his presence, because they've recently just won two key battles against some hostile tribes on their way to the bank of the Jordan here. And this should reassure them that God can and will give them the land, however much the odds are stacked against them. And then as we come to the end of our passage here, our key verse, Moses sort of repeats verse 35, but turns it into a command with a promise. So first the command, acknowledge and take to heart this day. That's the command. Look at all this evidence. Look at everything and take on this worldview that he alone is God and he has a plan for his people. He's delivered in the past and he can do it again. And so the promise, keep his decrees and laws so that it may go well with you. And your children after you may, you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. That's the promise, so that it may go well with you. But it's a promise with a caveat, isn't it? The start of verse 40, keep his decrees and commands. It's conditional. He's reminding them of the covenant the agreement which they have made as a nation with God. They've ratified it, they've signed up to it um, on on a few occasions actually. He says if if they stick to it, all will be well. But that's where we hit a problem. 
See, Moses is making a direct link between knowledge of this oneness of God deep in our hearts and being able to make right choices. I'll say that again. Moses is making a direct link between knowledge of the oneness of God deep in our hearts and being able to make right choices. That's why the command to acknowledge and take to heart in verse 39 comes before verse 40, which is about obedience leading to blessing. So trust always comes first, and then action. You know, if we we really trust that God is good, we will love what he loves and hate what he hates. If we trust that God has all power, we won't fear anything else, and we'll follow him despite the apparent risks. It's what we take to heart about God which will determine the choices we make. But it's the hearts of the Israelites which are the problem been the problem all along, and sadly will go on being the problem. You see, Moses leaves out of his potted history of the last 40 years or so, the catalogue of failure, Israel's repeated and sometimes breathtaking rejection of God. And, you know, I wish we had time to look at more of that cringy history, but it's like they're programmed to not trust God, to, to not take to heart that he alone is God, in spite of history, in spite of the evidence and to make terrible choices, like the one 38 years ago, to not enter the land. In fact, just before our passage today, before verse 38 started, in the previous section of chapter four of Deuteronomy, Moses actually predicts that Israel won't be able to resist the gods across the Jordan, and will reject God and end up in exile. And if you're familiar with the story, you'll know that's exactly what happened. This is Joshua chapter two. You can read as I'm speaking. I won't go through it, but that's exactly what happened. As long as they had really good leaders, things were generally okay most of the time. But as soon as that strong external leadership is removed, they run straight into the wooden arms of the gods of the people around them. Our key verse uh, for today, uh, verse 39, gets developed in Deuteronomy chapter 6 into this slightly bigger kind of pledge of allegiance, um, which is called the Shema. And it becomes a daily prayer, um, which is still used by some Jewish people today. Well, it may have been an easy thing to say on the east side of the Jordan, largely kind of in a bubble of this faith community, just as it might be an easy thing for us to say perhaps in church. But once they crossed into Canaan, it took all of one generation for both trusting God and obedience to go straight out the window, along with the blessings which come from following him. So what about us? I mean, is it even a plausible way to think when we step outside? When we're at school, at work, with our family and friends, and when we're making life's decisions? that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below, and there is no other. I mean, really? As you've heard this afternoon, we've got three people, be, three people being baptized, which is, which is wonderful. Um, three people who want to publicly say exactly that. But what confidence can we have that they, or we, will be able to keep following God's plans in the real world? Well, every confidence, actually. Remember that, oh, that's gone a bit funny. Um, Remember that the promised land is called the promised land 
because of the promises God made to Abraham to make them into a, a great nation, people in green, he's done that, uh, and to give them the land in amber, which he's just about to do. And that through Abraham, God's blessing, his presence, his eternal peace might come to every nation. Well, that's a bit of a question mark at the moment. But that third promise to bless every nation was ultimately fulfilled through Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And the key thing is the difference that makes to our hearts. You know, God knows our inability to follow him consistently because our hearts, just like the Israelites, always lean towards mistrust of God. That command in verse 39 to acknowledge and take to heart It doesn't come naturally. A thousand years later, after Deuteronomy, when the few remaining Israelites are indeed in exile in Babylon, God spoke through the prophets and promised to restore his people and to keep his covenant agreement with them. But this time, without them having to hold up their end of the bargain, that caveat that we see in verse 40 of our passage. Ezekiel 36 says, For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Wow. I mean, that sounds a bit more promising, doesn't it? You know, the prophet Jeremiah, and there's lots of others, but Jeremiah writes about this, and he calls it the new covenant Here's a table, I'm not going to go through it, but the point is that the new covenant gives us a new heart which is able to follow God by being filled with his spirit. So what does it look like for us to do verse 39, to acknowledge and take to heart this day? Well, let's, let's revisit our cheesy three R's from earlier on. So there's a reminder for us. Well, we can look at the evidence and we've got so much more evidence to go on than the Israelites did. We've got creation. We can look at what God has made. We can look at these Old Testament stories, the accounts of the people of Israel, of the mistakes they made and God's faithfulness and his mercy. We've got the Gospels, the life of Jesus, the evidence that shows that Jesus is both fully man and fully God. We can look at his death and resurrection and the evidence for that resurrection. And we can look at our own lived experiences, those things that we can look back and draw on and say, only God did that. We can look back at all of that and say, has anything so great as this ever happened or anything like it ever been heard of? Reassurance. We've got the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't just look back at God's promises in the past. We have his own loving presence, his own spirit in our hearts. And resolution. Well, as Ellen said earlier, we can put our trust in Jesus for the first time and every day. You know, may, maybe this is all new to you, but you recognize that description of a heart which just can't trust, and you'd like a fresh start. Well, today would be a great day for a crossroads moment to accept God's offer of forgiveness 
of a new heart and of a perfect plan for your life. And, and baptism is a key way of, of declaring that choice. Um, and so do speak to one of the staff if, you, if you'd like to explore um, baptism further. We'd love to baptize more people this summer, either in the sea or maybe eventually in there as well. You know, there's lots of interesting kind of practical models for thinking about guidance uh, in terms of wisdom and discernment, uh, like the five CSs, um, which are described in the Alpha course. We'll stick them up. I'm not going to go through them, but on the next slide. Um, the five CSs, which I, I quite like. Um, and I remember that Ken uh, once said in a talk on guidance, which I'm sure we could uh, put a link to somewhere, um, that the bigger the decision that we're trying to make before God, the more we might expect him to speak to us about it. And the more we listen to him openly, the more we tend to hear. And you know, I've certainly found that to be true in my own life. But our passage today is about something much more fundamental. This choice to accept the Bible's worldview of the oneness of God is the choice from which all other choices flow. So if, if we miss this starting point, then everything downstream is, is at risk of ruin, as indeed it was for Israel in the end. But what I would want to say is that in the new covenant, the more we get to know God and allow his presence to fill every area of our lives, well, we get to know his heart. And we're able more and more to choose right over wrong. We're able to receive more wisdom and discernment. And when we get things wrong, when we're not exiled, we're not judged, there's ongoing forgiveness. He will never abandon us. So, and we're nearly there. As we face big and small decisions alike, we can recenter ourselves, as Ellen said at the start, recenter ourselves on this oneness of God. We can trust him to be present with us and as we invite his Holy Spirit into our decision-making. We can take his word for it when he warns us away from things which will harm us. We can trust that he's the only power that counts when we're afraid of the risks he's asking us to take. We can have confidence in sharing our faith as we trust that God is he's the Lord of every person. And we can expect to hear from him when we spend time in prayer and dwell on the Bible. And we can be convinced by the accounts we read in it, as well as by our own experiences, that any alternative to following him, however attractive, is at best a shadow. Well, we're coming to communion this morning in just a moment. Um, as we said, the first time we've done this in real life in the building uh, since March 2020, I think. And we're going to remember that because Jesus loves us, he willingly sacrificed his life to free us from being trapped by our wrong choices and gives us a new life in all its fullness, living with us by his spirit now and in eternity to live with him in the ultimate promised land. And maybe for some, God is calling you to do that for the first time today. Well, we may or may not have a big crossroads coming up in life, but uh, as we come to communion, and in fact every day, we can come to the cross and recommit ourselves as we acknowledge and take to heart that the Lord is God and besides him there is no other. Amen.